Welcome to the Florence Guild podcast, a collection of conversations with business and cultural leaders delivering insight into future approaches to business and life. Through conversations in an array of styles, from salon talks to lifestyle events, through to intimate facilitated lunches and dinners, Florence Guild promotes encounters, satiates curiosity, and allows insight into future approaches to business and life. The following Florence Guild conversation was recorded live at Work Club Melbourne, Australia's most forward-thinking workspace. In this episode's conversation, we keep exploring how Australia could lead the world in fintech. This time, we've invited Georgia Beatty, Startup Victoria CEO, Ben Williamson, DealPad co-founder, and Danielle Sito, Fintech Australia CEO, to join us in a panel discussion. And we thank our panel facilitator, Shibel, an investment associate from reInventure. How Australia could lead the world in fintech, a Florence Guild panel discussion with Georgia Beatty, Ben Williamson, and Danielle Sito. Hello, everyone, and thanks for coming today. Uh, I am Sabelle. I'm an investment associate at reInventure. We are uh, broadly considered uh, Westpac's venture capital arm, and we uh, focus, obviously, a lot on fintech and adjacent technology areas. Um, uh, maybe I'll just start by throwing it to the panelists, if you could just introduce yourself sure. and your organization. Absolutely, and I think it's very underbaked the introduction you just gave, Sibel, because actually, I, my view, reInventure is one of the leading funds in the space and has done so much to support the community, so well done to you. Um, so yes, Danielle Zito, CEO of Fintech Australia, our role is to basically act as the voice of the fintech community in Australia to government uh, and to the regulators. So we've been working on a range of different policy initiatives across the country. Um, we also do a lot to connect the community to each other, um, so bringing the corporates and the fintech communities together, um, as would have seen perhaps the launch of InsureTech Australia just earlier this week or last week, um, bringing together the InsureTech community with the insurance community, a uh, very good example of that. Um, but also a lot of connectivity externally. And I'm going to call out in particular, we've got a very handsome man sitting over there, Sebastian from Fintech Uruguay, so definitely have a chat to him later. But it's events like the Inter uh, Intersect Festival, where we hope to bring um, some of the world's leading thinkers, uh, some of the world's leading doers together around all things Fintech, which is a very broad church. So. Uh, that's enough for me, and I'll hand to Georgia, another Thank very you. significant player in the ecosystem. Um, so Georgia Beatty, I'm CEO of Startup Victoria. Um, so we're sort of we're we're quite early stage focused, um, and we're the like go-to startup body for the state. So we're actually the oldest and the and the largest in Australia now. And so it started out purely just as a a little meetup group where 50 people got together and sort of. I guess bitched about how hard business was, trying to find their, their um, you know, similar-minded people. Um, to now, we've got sort of 20,000 um, members, and ideally, we're that first stage. If you're looking to hop into the space, and then you can very quickly navigate to um, whether it's fintech Australia or agtech Australia, wherever it is that you need to go. So connecting you to the right place at, at the right time. Um, I am just in the, in the process now of formalising ourselves as the industry body. So like um, other industries um, where you've got a body that can negotiate sort of better, better terms um, with insurers and accountants and lawyers um, for the community as a whole. So in the case of insurance, um, having a relationship with Aon where something may have cost 
um, quite a few grand comes down to sort of forty dollars if we're the sort of master policyholder. Just as an example, so it's those sort of things that set um, a, a benchmark or for the for the community. So we know that our founders, um, no matter what stage, they're getting good advice. Um, and so we do. We're just about to launch a. Um, a hub which will be the place for all events, jobs, um, mentoring, office hours and resources for the space. So we're just, um, my main job is to, to create a easy sort of way to navigate the ecosystem so you can very quickly find out venture capital or co-working spaces or where you need to go overseas. Um, and yeah, I'll pass on to Ben. Um, so Ben Williamson, so I've been Started out as an accountant and for the last sort of decade been in high growth businesses and startups and about six months ago uh, I left a contract role with PwC to start DealPad. So talking about co um, crowdfunding, so DealPad's effectively almost crowdfunding as a service for uh, incumbent advisors. So we provide the technology for the larger players, the people who are doing you know, $50 million transactions and more to be able to come down and service the high growth earlier stage businesses and it still make financial sense. So we're sort of one mil plus in terms of cap raise and we launch next month. We've got some good early traction, good funding, uh, but still going through growing pains, obviously. Do you any crowdfunding No. Yeah. Not yet. Thanks, guys. Uh, I want to start with Danielle. Um, just to give a brief kind of overview on how fintech is disrupting financial services and uh, what are the kind of trends you're seeing in market? Yeah, sure. And actually, I would have loved you to answer this question because, you know, reInventure has a, fun, a wonderful thesis on this. Um, but certainly we are seeing a lot of uh, change in financial services. So everything from the consumer facing end where there's huge amounts of innovation using greater availability of data to customize, tailor, um, optimize the way in which things like risk is priced. Um, all the way through to the back end where, again, data, artificial intelligence, blockchain technologies are completely changing the dynamics and the cost dynamics of how you're setting up a technology stack and how you're actually um, you know, building financial services businesses. And of course, with the work that's actually happening as well with the regulators, um, it's becoming much clearer as well how they're looking at these new ways and vehicles of structuring businesses to deliver these new types of financial services. So there's a huge amount of innovation happening both at the edges as well as the core. Um, I think what's interesting to observe Australia's position in this is that worldwide you tend to see a lot of innovation in things that are very consumer facing first. So whether it might be things like payments or budgeting applications or lending, consumer lending, certainly we saw that in Australia. But actually what's been really interesting to see is that Australia has evolved a very strong and emerging capability in areas like regulatory technology and compliance, or regtech as they call it, things that are based on data, things that are based on artificial intelligence, wealth tech. I mean, Australia has the sixth largest pool of superannuation funds in the world for a population of 23 million. We're pretty darn good at asset management. And so again, there's a lot of technology companies that are starting to tackle problems in that particular area because again, huge amounts of cost overhead that comes with the compliance and the tracking and the analysis. Um, and it's areas that uh, have huge cost overheads that startups tend to tackle because obviously they can take a piece of that pie. So we are seeing innovation across the spectrum. Um, I'm very excited in particular with Australia's capability emerging in wealth tech. Um, I, but I'm also especially excited about the technology that's really starting to evolve in blockchain. 
and particularly here in Melbourne, we're seeing a lot of activity in the space, whether it be through the Melbourne Blockchain Centre, the launch of the RMIT uh, blockchain hub, um, the fact that we actually have like a very significant Chinese blockchain uh, delegation coming at the moment, and the growing conversation between Australia and China, which is undoubtedly one of the world leaders in, not one of, they are undoubtedly the world leader in blockchain. Um, so I think those are all areas where Australia is starting to put a stake in the ground to say, um, you know, we've got some fantastic fintech companies that are targeting all sorts of ends of the spectrum there. Great. And obviously, you know, fintech is one, uh, one technology area. I think there's around 600 fintech startups in Australia. What are the other types of uh, startups you're seeing in the space and how do you see um, that evolving as well? What, what, what are Australian, Australian innovators good at? So we have a theory that ecosystems are local and so that like the New South Wales and so around Sydney and there's a few other areas. So you, you sort of measure those and how they're working together. It's really hard to get an Australian read on where our entrepreneurial culture is right now. Um, <clears throat> when I jumped into this role, I thought that I would be handed a whole heap of data on what our ecosystem's doing like a president does when they get sworn in. It wasn't the case and I had to go and create our own data. So we've just done our first mapping project and that was fascinating. Um, there's lots of talk um, um, on both on the corporate side and government. So I didn't say before, we're a non-profit, we're nothing to do with government. It's really important that a, um, that a startup body is not, isn't tied to, to government. Um, and so what was really interesting is that you've got these conversations around, um, around ag tech and, and sports tech and something that culturally um, it makes sense that we have a, um, an advantage in. Um, because say because we're sports crazed, you'd think that you've got a whole heap of entrepreneurs jumping into the sports space. It just wasn't the case, and so health was by far the um, the overwhelming um, response in Victoria that um, accounted for the um, the most amount of businesses, most amount of jobs, most amount of investment. Um, and then following that, you've got edtech, which makes sense. It's one of our biggest exports, um, and if we want to stay. It, keep it as a big export, then it needs to really be jumping onto into the tech space. Um, and media and entertainment was another one, which was quite, which was quite large. Um, but, but sports and ag were small, which is disappointing. I think it's something that we do need to have a bit more of a focus in, particularly if we want our farms to sort of stay competitive in this sort of apparent food bowl that we sit in. Um, yeah, they were sort of the, the main st standouts. Um, and of course, you've got sort of SaaS businesses that it, it's really hard to categorise them all. And they sit under what's called business and enterprise. Um, and we're sort of about to go and um, to sort of look at that chunk and, and analyse it. But we haven't at, at this stage. Um, and that's where you would fall in. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of SaaS, how do you categorise yourself? And Yeah. Uh, try not to think about it too much and just get on and do, I guess. Uh, yeah, we, we can go under SaaS, we can go under marketplaces, we can go under fintech, um, you know. How did you come up with the idea for DealPad and how did the opportunity evolve? Uh, I, I wouldn't say I was a willing entrepreneur to start with. Uh, I had to be pushed and prodded a bit, so I've got two young kids, so I was a sole income earner, uh, to take six months off that and uh, have no income coming in was a big sort of scary thing sitting in front of my face. Um, but so I guess the background was I was at PwC and I was tasked with the job of how do how does a firm like PwC, a large uh, incumbent, work with startups and and not only how do they work but how does it how does it do it and it works for both of them. So 
you know, average charge out rates of $500 just don't work for startups, especially like at the lower end. It's just, it's never going to work. I think we did a, um, I did one job as a litmus test, which was for um, a guy named Joe Hanna, who's a, a great guy in the startup space, and he needed an AC grant audit done. So it's a very simple job. I thought, here we go, now we'll get some really good comparison. Um, and I got it internally quoted at five grand. I thought, got it, right? I found a little niche, it's a little start that we can go out. Five grand was a great price, I was shocked. I thought it would be 10. And I thought that I could probably get them down to about three if I really pushed. Uh, he got a price from his local accountant at 1500 bucks. And I was just, I was shattered. Um, I was like, where are we actually gonna find this unison? There's gotta be something in there. And there was a question that kept coming back and back internally whenever we talked to startups is, help us raise money, you know, help us get out there. Uh, and I don't know if anyone's from financial services or, or large consultants, but um, when you're raising money like that, it's an at-risk play. And at-risk fees just don't gel in these places. They just, every week you'll see timesheets go out with big negatives on it, uh, and all it takes is one, and you'll just see it go, like week one, negative 20 grand, week two, negative 60 grand, week three, negative 80. It doesn't matter if it's $300,000 in upside. You've just got partners sitting there looking at these numbers. So that's, that's kind of what we set out to solve. Um, and really for us, it was about how do we connect investors who are looking for startups to the startups that they want to see. Uh, and so a lot of barriers sit in that in terms of connection and uh, familiarity and... Um, and the like, so it, that's I guess what we're trying to do. Uh, and I pitched it to PwC, and they said, "Look, we really want to use it, but to be honest, we'd stuff it up. Uh, so if we if we built it as our own product, it would cost ten times as much, take three times as long." And so I left and started myself. Fantastic. Can I say one little thing? The um, you know you were just saying before, well, we could be this and we could be that. That's a big problem we had when we were at mapping. Is that entrepreneurs didn't know how to categorise their own business, which is sort of fair enough in this sort of very dynamic marketplace. But then we had even biotech companies not consider themselves by um, technology and also. Um, not entrepreneurs either. So there's, there's this whole thing of whether you're an entrepreneur and what the classification of a startup is. And so it made, yeah, it was very difficult. There's to no hard and fast rule, right? No, so we sort of ended up making a, a definition <laughs> for Australia because it's very different to other ecosystems. Yeah. <coughs> um, so you mentioned, you know, connecting investors, uh, advisors, startups. Yeah. Um, Danielle, throw it to you. Um, who are the key participants in the ecosystem? You had mentioned regulators, government, mm. obviously. Um, yeah, so who are the, the key participants and how has that kind of evolved over time yeah. in, in your role as well? So actually, much like these guys, we do actually very much look at it as an ecosystem. Um, we have what we call kind of like a, a five pillars sort of framework. Um, particularly in fintech, the regulators are important. I mean, there, you cannot do anything in fintech unless you know about the regulations. So that's just part and parcel of that particular subsector. But we look at it from the perspective of policy, which is the regulators, talent, because as Georgia says, you absolutely need really good quality talent to build um, successful businesses, and people like Ben are a really good testament to that. You need the capital, so that's where you guys come in. So, you know, obviously you need the money to be flowing around the ecosystem to make sure that the businesses thrive. Um, you also need the space. So space is like 
you know, this place, um, uh, but also the big co-working spaces that are starting to spin up across the country. They're really good places for people to sort of gel ideas together and, you know, it's what I kind of call those serendipitous meetings that, mm. and collisions that kind of lead to these innovative ideas. So that's actually very, very important. Um, and then the other one which I think many people forget about when you're talking about ecosystem is customers. Customers are the absolute core of a successful startup business. If you have no customers, you have no revenue, you have no business. So for financial or for fintech, customers are very much either your banks or your end consumers. And in many cases, actually, to get to your end consumers, you need to access it via a bank. So um, you know that's kind of for us the really big fifth one. So making sure that there's a lot of connectivity and collaboration across the ecosystem is quite important. Mm -hmm. And Georgia, within the um, startup big ecosystem, um, what type of support uh, or initiatives are available for startups and how do you foster that ecosystem within the state? We do a heap of initiatives. Um, one thing, when you talk about co-working sites and having that sort of serendipitous meeting where you might meet your co-founder or an investor or, or someone that just makes you think about your business in a completely different way, um, <clears throat> and all these things are really, really important. And I, um, I didn't mention before, but I had a, a company that I exited early last year, and um, it was actually a manufacturing startup. Don't anyone go into manufacturing? Um, <clears throat> and um, my my first customer was actually in Japan. I made uh, like a single serve glass of wine, um, and so going overseas really quickly was really important for me. And so we very quickly launched an, an office over there, um, and then we started um, doing all of the uh, um, sort of stadiums and festivals and things in Australia. But going overseas is really important. So what we're doing at the moment is one of the startup big things is we've, so we've just mapped Victoria. And so we've got 180 of these sorts of, well, not like this, but sort of co-working spaces um, in Victoria. And so we've got quite good data on what the what, what entrepreneurs need. So they need they definitely need some co-working spaces. They need early stage incubators, accelerators. They need access to capital. And they've got their meetup groups where they go and find like-minded people. And so we've done that here. And so the next... Um, uh, city we're doing is Bangalore and that's sort of India's Silicon Valley and they've got a big med um, focus there so it makes sense for Victoria um, to be to be matched there and so, so we're doing the same thing so we've found all the co-working spaces investment and so that our entrepreneurs on sort of both ways can very quickly jump in and they can they can find work club um, or, or sort of a work club type in um, in Bangalore and they know that that's their crowd um, if they're going to launch or they want to sort of go down the hiring path or whatever it might be so it makes sort of the landing a little bit easier um, because it was I mean from my own experience it's a nightmare going by sort of word of mouth and your contacts um, you can sort of get hit the ground running. Um, <clears throat> but in terms of other initiatives, we're just about to, one of the things we noticed, so in the mapping we did, um, we had four PhDs in the, um, uh, of, the, of the founders, of, the, um, the, of all the founders in Victoria, there's only four that had a PhDs, 54% had a bachelor um, and below. And so we haven't got, there's not sort of a huge amount of um, uh, later sort of study. And when I compare that to other ecosystems, which this isn't a fair comparison, I'm very aware, but say in the States, it's, um, they've got 10% of their founders are a PhD and above. So a PhD and below. Um, and so that means that there's a hop between researchers going into and starting their business. So they'll go into a PhD, they'll find something interesting and they're like, right, I'm going to commercialise it. So that, for whatever reasons, that, that, that's not happening here. So one of the mechanisms we're doing to draw out the PhD, so we've got a very good neuroscience capability in, in Victoria. One of, it's 
fourth in the world in neuroimaging. So we're doing, we're just hosting a very simple awards night and we have five grand prizes and about seven of them. But that way we flush out the, um, the com more commercially minded PhDs and then we just have the community around them as a way and they, they're going to pitch their, their business. So that's one thing. So we sort of look at things of where's the ecosystem failing and how do we go in and sort of just try something. So that's happening in sort of May next year. So fingers crossed that works. There's just been a, um, a new $200 million um, fund for commercialising research launch in Australia too. Federal? No. State? No. Uh, overseas. So it's magic. Yeah, it's, it's magic money. Um, no, so the, the, U, the UK company called, I think it's IP Group from memory. Uh, so for a long time they've got a they've got a UK business, a company that raises money and then invests in commercialising early stage uh, university research. Really? Yep. It's very, it's what's interesting, we're encouraging now PhDs when they go in to the university to go before they pay their fees or, and find their, um, what do you have when you're a PhD? Is that what, someone that, supervisor, supervisor. Yeah. What's it called? Yes. Yeah, supervisor. supervisor. Before you even do that, negotiate your terms. Is anyone from the university here? <laughs> so, so what I'm interested in, I want our entrepreneur, or like our researchers to go in and say, I'm doing this research, but I'm taking it out and this is how much I'm going to give you. You agree? Okay, fantastic. <laughs> Speak to you later. Um, but what we find, and I've literally had this um, a week ago in a pitch competition, we had the winner there. And we said, hang on a second, want to speak to the university, what's, what's the deal with the university? Um, and they said, no, we haven't really sorted it out and it's going to be this. And it's just like these ridiculous uncommercial terms. Yeah. And so the judging panel just said, no, number two, that, that's the winner because you basically, you can't, it's not investable. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going on a tangent. So we do, so, so that commercialising research, um, we do, we're launching something um, which, which we've had, um, which is a very sort of common thing called office hours, but doing this on a bigger um, spectrum on our hub. And that's where the um, community can give out, sort of send the lift down a little bit and give hours back to the um, to early stage founders. And it's just a way of having access to, um, to experts um, that might be able to, that might specialise in raising capital and one of our startups. And so you can book sort of a 30 minute coffee and that'll all be done on the, on the platform. Um, and then making jobs a little bit easier, high growth jobs, finding a high growth employee is, is, is hard because it's a, diff a completely different type of job. Um, and so we're trying to sort of help with that sort of stuff. Um, and then resources. I don't want to, we've got examples of what a term sheet looks like and what you should be looking for in there. Um, you know, what does a, a four year vested partnership agreement look like? Don't give away half of your equity before you even, even started the business. There's really simple things, just being a, just a consolidated um, resource for the community. And I mean, that's, this is an open resource. So if, you, if you've got something you think that our community needs to hear about, then I'm, I'm all ears and, and really welcome um, your contribution. Fantastic. Great to hear that there's so many things happening yeah, at the, at the national level and at the state level. Oh, we don't have to do anything like... at national because they do it all at state. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> um, ben, how have you, uh, I guess, uh, benefited or used any of the initiatives available to you? And uh, how do you feel about the maturity of the ecosystem as a whole and whether that's had any effect on the success of your business? Yeah, look, I think that... That's a, that's a big meaty question. Um, so, so personally, having been involved in the ecosystem for a little bit, uh, so I've been a mentor at Melbourne Uni's Accelerator for the last couple of years, so I've, I guess I've been fortunate enough to see a lot of 
uh, activities and meet people and, and, um, and go through it in a bit more informal a way. But, you know, I, I, think it's, I think it's paramount to make use of this stuff. Like I was able to, we, we just did a small cap raise ourselves and, um, you know, I've, I've got decent exposure and experience in capital raise and hopefully that would be the case. <laughs> um, but, you know, I've done, I've done a half a dozen or more deals and uh, I was able to do things like the, um, the contracts myself. So there's places like Allen's Law Firm that have an Accelerate program. You literally just sign up uh, and you get a bunch of startup friendly documentations like the Avcal docs, uh, things like that. So you know, I use that, that documentation. It's perfectly um, notated. So if you've got a decent grasp of contracts, you can really navigate it quite well and you're not being too funny with clauses and the like. Uh, so things like that worked really well for me. Um, I think to, to continue on a point that you two raised around local ecosystems and individual hubs and, and different groups, it's really important to um, be aware of the type of business you are and the type of industry and the like. I, I sort of follow the ethos that you sort of your version of normal is the average of everyone around you. So, you know, this is a great space to be in if you're a professional services business or professional services tech, because there's just a lot of consultants and people who play in that space. So your version of normal uh, will resonate with that, and therefore that's what you'll judge yourself on. Whereas if you were in a, you know, a very early stage tech um, hub, that's probably not the best spot for you because that's not that's not what you want to sort of base from and go from. So I think it's really important to take advice and take those pieces of information um, and utilise them. Don't let it just sit there wasted. Great. All right. And with that, I uh, might just open it up to questions. Uh, we've got about kind of 15 minutes. Yeah. I was wondering, um, what, are the, what are some of the more interesting um, fintech startups you've seen in, in Victoria that we should know about? Yeah. Besides the Besides, deal pad, clearly. Um, we've actually seen some really cool fintech companies coming out of Victoria, actually. Um, one that I'll raise is Airwellex. If I had to put money on one of the companies that's most likely to become the Australia's fintech unicorn, it'll be them. They are How much growing, did they raise recently, 13? Uh, 13 million US. And the investors included, uh, well, no, it wasn't you guys, actually. Uh, sorry, 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 that was hyper Um Yeah, I know. That, the investors in that particular one included Sequoia China. So obviously really, really huge. Actually, that was a huge signal to the world that Australia makes amazing mm. companies. The minute you have Sequoia picking up and investing in companies here, the rest of the world takes notice. And actually, I've seen so many VCs coming into this market now going, oh, there's stuff going on here. Like the number, I mean, when I first started this role about 18 months ago, um, you know, I'd get maybe an email or a phone call from a VC internationally maybe once every three months. Now I'm getting them probably about once a month. Um, so the interest in this market and the awareness that Australia raises really good quality fintech companies and great quality entrepreneurs is out. Um, but, you know, they didn't just have Sequoia China. They also had MasterCard. So they also had the card companies as well. And those guys have now set up in the UK, China, Indonesia, Philippines. Like they're everywhere. Mm. It's, it's insane. Sorry, what was the name of that company? Airwallex. Airwallex. So oh, they're, yes, they're a B2B remittance company, international remittance. So they help small businesses make international payments. Um, another one that I love is Moolah. They've been around here for a very long time. One of the absolute stalwarts of the ecosystem. They give back, but they're also just great guys. And you would not believe how much that trust goes to a particular if you're in a B2B type fintech like they are. Sorry, we can't hear what you're saying over here. Oh, sorry. Uh, Moolah, M-O-U-L-A. 
So they're a SME lending company. Um, and they, they've, uh, they built their company really quickly by partnering with Zero, And so through those partnerships, they managed to get very, very quick scale. But the other thing is, like, Aris and the other founders are just great guys. Um, and the third one I'll mention is Assembly Payments. Uh, that's a company you have invested in, mm-hmm. um, as have Rampersand, I believe, yeah. which is another Melbourne VC. Um, those guys have been going for a little while doing sort of uh, business payments platform, so like the underlying tech to support businesses implementing payments. Because quite frankly, like given how much payments is fragmenting, keeping track of all of that and the standards across that is just a pain in the rear. So they simplify that process and they actually just won the global SWIFT GPI challenge. So they were actually at Cybos about two weeks ago and I saw them pitching on stage. Um, Cybos is the, nat- the international conference which is run by SWIFT, which runs the messaging between banks globally. Um, so in terms of having an Australian, there was like, I think there was close to 50 companies across the world that applied to get into that challenge. They were one of the five finalists and then they won. So again, huge endorsement of Australian companies, especially mm-hmm. coming from Victoria, really, really solid. What about Timelio? Timelio, yes, we did. Um, Charlotte is actually was on, on our original founding board. Good Another amazing, great company, um, which is killing it in the uh, peer-to-peer invoice lending space. Mm. Um, I think has actually just gotten investment from Anthony Thompson from the Adam Bank in the UK. Uh, that may not be well known public. Uh, <laughs> actually, no, that is public. That is public. Um, yeah. No, no, we promote it as part of our festival. Yeah, Yeah. totally. Um, No, but amazing. And actually, the second alternative finance benchmarking report, which came out just recently, showing that Australia is now the second biggest alternative finance market after China in Asia Pacific, which is amazing because China's like the world leader Mm -hmm. by far. Um, Invoice financing has been the really standout growth story for Australia. Um, and so when you look at alternative finance, a lot of that is driven by uh, Timelio and a couple of similar businesses yeah. in that space. It makes sense. You've got a country full of big players that pay on 150 days. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm, of course, if you want to get somewhere, you have to yeah. get some cash. What about, there was a, one I downloaded the other day, a Sydney company. Oh, we're talking Finch? Melbourne? Finch? How are they going? Uh, good. They're actually not, they're based here as well. Oh, uh, fairly a stage. Yeah, Shahira Gardner. Um, Shahira and Matt Gardner. She's, I think they're get, um, gonna, we've got a female founders pitch um, month next yeah, month. Cool. I think she's having. So she's actually, uh, or she and her husband are actually ex Silicon Valley. So came to Australia, um, were one of the early acceptances from the uh, Yodley Global Accelerator. So they did the Yodley program over in, back in the valley as they were migrating back to Melbourne. Um, caught up with it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And she loves it here. She loves it. Um, you know, she's originally, I think, from here. And so, you know, her and her husband have uh, come back. Okay. And, um, you know, really in terms of kind of like the quality of founders starting that journey from very early stage, she's really experienced. I heard her speak and it seemed like she knew what she was she doing. She knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, very, you know, they've been in Silicon Valley now for quite some time. And that's actually part of this Australian story, actually. Um, this whole thing of worldwide Australian entrepreneurs are recognised as being exceptionally high quality talent that don't stay in Australia. Yeah. They all go to the UK, they go to Silicon Valley, they go to... Because previously they've had to. Exactly, because there hadn't really been anything here. Mm. But what we're sort of seeing is that, you know, we've got these standout performers that have been in those ecosystems now for, so, you know, six, seven years, starting to think about coming back and having families and are like, actually, there's an ecosystem in now in, mm. in Australia, like VC is picking up. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of great support programs like the stuff that Startup Vic are doing. There's a lot um, of education in the space. Exactly. I actually studied entrepreneurship and I had to go study in 
Boston because there wasn't anything here. Um, and entrepreneurship was still a bit of a dirty word. And where I and I sort of had my business and I wasn't really in playing in the ecosystem or going to events. When I popped back out and had a look at what was going mm. I, going on, I just couldn't believe it. It's just not only has it gone, it's gone from sort of something for those who don't fit in to viable career choice you better do that rather than an accountant and, and, or a lawyer because we don't know what that's going to look like in 10 years yeah. there's, not, there's not many people that you talk to that don't want to be in it yeah. right these days mm. there's a lot of people who aspire to sort of get into this yeah. Mm. yeah it is it's an aspirational space yeah. Yeah. Hi, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit around um, ICOs. So Australia still isn't ICO friendly, um, not yet anyway. So we look at countries like Singapore, Vanuatu, Abu Dhabi, Canada and so on that are really striving to build that ecosystem around ICOs. Um, and I'm wondering if you have any comment on... Do you want me to take that one? We worked on the regulation. Definitely. Actually, I would argue that Australia is very friendly to ICOs because the... Uh, well, actually, if anything, what startups really want from the ICO frameworks from the regulators is to understand where they sit with respect to it, and the guidance that ASIC released is actually exactly what you need. Um, so it effectively clarifies that, you know, you will be regulated under the regulations that apply to any form of derivatives or securities, and effectively, at the end of the day, no matter how much you dress it up, if you are giving people access rights or some form, attaching some form of rights to a token, if it's used now or if it's used then, you will be subject to regulation. So there is, I think, anyone who is going into an ICO believing that they can somehow magic up this thing. Well, actually, of course, people are you know, creating fraudulent things all the time. But um, anyone who goes in thinking that they can escape uh, you know, things like the Corporations Act in things like that is kidding themselves no matter where you are. And Singapore, I mean, they did the same thing. They released initial statements and clarifying statements, again, stating that, yes, we support ICOs. However, um, you will, of course, be subject to securities regulation. And um, the one thing that they've done, which I commend probably more than they've done as obviously here in Australia, is actually allowing ICOs and people running ICOs to operate within their sandbox. But still, having a sandbox pathway you will still end up being regulated at the end of it. So no matter which way you look at it, you're going to get hit with the regulation. And, and I think it's important to note, you know, that we've got a very strong sort of uh, line between retail and sophisticated investors when it comes to pretty much most investment classes. You know, there's lots of legislation and, and, um, and rightly so around real estate and how that gets sold, lots of legislation around shares and, and when you're raising money, who can you raise from, at what amounts, et cetera, et cetera. We've got crowdfunding that's coming in, which is good as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I agree. Like, I think it's a perfect thing that ASIC came out and said, this is what we think of it, and to give it some really good context because um, whilst it can be great, it can also be very bad. Uh, you know, there's, there's very easy if it goes unregulated for people to put a lot of money, a lot of their percentage of net wealth into it, and it, and it can just go, like a lot of things. Um, so yeah, look, I, I, I think they're doing a great thing. And I think it's, you just, rather than pitching it against uh, other economies also just pitch it against the other asset classes in Australia too, in terms of how they're regulated. Yeah, because I mean, I think I've, I've seen about 20 different white papers um, and I would say that 19 of them did not pass the business model smell test. I would not touch that thing with a 10 foot pole. Like, and to the fact that people are just throwing money into it because they invested in Bitcoin early and so quite frankly, what they've got in terms of their net wealth now, given the price increase, is sort of just paper money. Um, they don't mind just dishing it out everywhere, but at the same time, there is almost no return on 90% of the ICOs I see. 
there are some very legitimate companies. Power Ledger, for example, I've known about them for a long time. They were actually going to do a cap raise before they went to ICO. Um, and same with, uh, there's another one that's pitching tomorrow, which is in a similar sort of space, uh, Solaria, Rights Fusion. Um, some really cool companies that are doing very good executions um, of blockchain, which result in having a use for a token. But again, those guys are looking at it from the perspective of the, you know, the legitimate companies are looking at ICOs and expecting it to be regulated and are having dialogue with the regulator about how much they should provision for that. So, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 no. We might just one more question. Yeah, I was just going to say, continuing going off that, when you say like 19 out of 20 haven't gone uh, along the, the regulations of the Corporations Act and whatnot, if they do get their idea out, they receive money for it, are you saying that, uh, you're kind of saying that the uh, ATO might still go and pull all those funds back and they'll have to owe them that money, or can you elaborate kind of what you meant with uh, I don't necessarily think it's a case for the ATO. I mean, yeah, Corporations Act is basically if you don't deliver on your on your promises, you are committing fraud. Yeah. So it's not even a case of you owing people money. It's, yeah. it's you will go to jail. Like it's AFP. It's ASIC. It's yeah, yeah. ATO. They're gonna they're gonna say, well, it's no legitimate case for a race. So we're not gonna charge you tax. We're just gonna refer it to someone else. Um, yeah, you know, early stage cap raising is very, very risky, um, very risky. And so, you know, when you layer that on top with an ICO, like it, it can either add a level of risk or decrease a level of risk, but either way, you've still got that base. So I think, you know, 19 out of 20 startups that you talk to are probably the same, right? Like you wouldn't invest yeah. in them, they don't stack. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's just another layer. Yeah. And it is kind of challenging as well when you have that extra dimension and the fact that you're actually investing in these ICOs through another cryptocurrency, which again, at the moment, or at least until recently, had almost no tax status within Australia as well. Um, so you're kind of, yeah, it's, it's a very strange, interesting new world for the regulators. So maybe just a, a, a practical thing. So if you're looking at issuing an ICO, maybe look at who are the players in the space at the moment. Like I know Alan's law firm did the, um, did the Power Ledger one. So go talk to them. If they're not gonna represent you because they don't think it's good enough, maybe have a look at your, your product. Um, but also, if you're looking at investing in one, have a look at who's attached to it as well, right? Because they've, you know, they'll get a fee on it, but they've got a lot more to lose if it's their brand that gets tarnished as part of it. So players like that are really good in terms of a proxy sort of mm. DD on it. So. Yeah, we have most of the top law firms working with us on the ICO space. So um, Allen's, KWM, KNL Gates, Baker McKenzie, etc. And in fact, Baker McKenzie will be doing a session on it tomorrow morning as part of Blockchain Day. Uh, and I think KNL is also going to look at it in the afternoon. Um, and then we're going to be talking a little bit about the broader case for a digital Aussie dollar in sort of as against some of these things that are happening at the moment with cryptos. Yeah. All right, I think that's all we have time for today. I want to just thank our panelists. Um, big round of applause. Explore the Florence Guild podcast with the best talent from Australia and across the world. You can subscribe and rate this podcast on iTunes. For more information on Florence Guild, visit florenceguild.com.